This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Happy New Year! That's fireworks. (laughs) Sounds like the dogs that are scared of the fireworks. You know the crackly ones? You got any news resolutions? I don't know. I will, I assume, (laughs) but it's, well... Here's a secret. Here's a secret. It's actually the 16th of December when we're Don't ruin it. I don't know. Sorry. I'm going to be like you for a little bit. My news resolution, my friend's getting married on Jan 7th. Okay. And so I'm going to have a wonderful time at that, enjoy myself. That's your new year's resolution? (laughs) Have a wonderful time at my friend's wedding. Have fun for once. No, Mm. do that. And then from that time, from January 7th until the final day of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival 2023, I'm going to try and not consume alcohol. When's the comedy festival? Uh, April. March, April. That's cool. But but it's like it's also you're going through the gauntlet there. They're doing all these other fringe festivals around the country, which is and it's the summer and it's enjoyable, fun time. So getting through that while not getting on the booze, if I manage to pull that off, will be quite impressive. Wouldn't it be isn't it easier because you're already having so much fun? I don't know how this works. (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> don't need it. I don't know. We really are another species to you, aren't we? People who can see You're having lots of fun. You go, oh, why not have a drink? Or the drink enhances the already existing fun. No? As I understand it, some people need to drink to feel comfortable in social situations or feel they need to drink. So I guess that makes sense for what you're saying. I love the idea of being at a great party and someone says, hey, do you want a drink? And I say, no, thank you. I'm already already having having heaps of fun. fun. Yeah, isn't that the I'm high on life, like I don't need it, you know, that's me. I'm having a great time. Talk about the Greens, that that bunch of idiots. The Greens party is a party of hate. They want to destroy the social fabric of society. These people, these Greens, they are snake oil salesmen. She has described the Greens as very, very dangerous. Frankly, I've always found the Greens to be a real serious danger to Australia. (laughs) Serious danger to Australia. (sighs) Another year of serious danger. Podcast wow. about green politics in Australia that's not an official Greens Party podcast. Official podcast of the year 2023, though. Keep saying it. You're hearing it more and more. You're hearing it more and more. Made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael LeGriff Griffin and supported by lovely donations from our wonderful Patreons, Patreon subscribers who are patrons. That's how we refer to them. We, <laughs> Because we're recording this in advance, we don't know who the new people who've signed up to our Patreon are, but... Thank you. If you have recently, we love you. If you, maybe that's your, you can be your New Year's resolution. <laughs> hey, if you're not already a patron, become one. Do something good for yourself and the world. Get access to heaps of bonus content. Chuck in three bucks a month or so. Help pay Michael the Great Griffin and support us. Keep the show going. The economy's doing great. Now is the time yeah, to invest the time. in independent Greens leftist podcasts. Stock her up. Serious danger, stock her up. Do we settle on a name for people who are patron? Do we say danger dogs or something? Is that what oh, we said? Oh, I haven't heard of this. Let's talk we, about we this offline. <laughs> we just, no, we did this on an episode. What? I just can't remember what we actually landed on. No, we on. didn't. Did we? I definitely remember suggesting Danger Dogs, but anyway, carry on. <laughs> okay. Look, this week we're talking about one of our favourite pillars, grassroots democracy. That is, Love for it. folks who don't know, one of the four pillars of the Greens political party and particularly internal democracy stuff when it comes to power that our MPs have versus the membership. So we're going to be chatting about how the leader is elected and conscience voting, binding MPs to party policy. So if any, hope no MPs are listening because, <laughs> yeah, I'm about to tell you that we should be more democratic. We're staging a coup That's to take right. away all your power, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> a leader. He's a mighty good leader. A good leader, all the way, all the way, Lord. Tom Ballard, did you know that despite being the best and most progressive party, the Australian Greens leader is elected by federal MPs only? <laughs> what? But we love grassroots democracy. Surely we would collectively as a party vote for people who have leadership positions in their party no you would think um i honestly forget how many mps we have in party room now how many mps do we have uh uh 16 isn't it is it 16 yeah Yeah. 12 senators for lower house mps yeah okay so that used to be i mean that's a little bit better but generally for a long time it's been like 10 people 
electing the leader of a party of many thousands of people and for whom many more thousands of people vote. I will say in the, in yeah. the slight defence there is, again, we'll get to this, but the internal democracy would be that, you know, all those MPs went through a pre-selection process which was voted on by the members, which are the major parties simply cannot say the same. So, right. yes, even though okay. it's a very small people choosing the leader, those 10 people have gone through a more of a democratic selection process than well, other politicians, I would say. Somewhat, but, I mean, in the case of our lower house MPs, that pre-selection process could be literally, I don't know, 60 people in a branch. Um, and for branches like, you know, people in the ACT and NT, then they don't get any say. But anyway, yes, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I've told you about how I went to Adam's pre-selection meeting, right? Have we discussed this? No. Did I ever tell you this? When, <laughs> when, when? When, when Adam Matt was running again, I guess, ahead of the uh, 2022 election, I guess it must have been oh, in right, 2021 right. or something. Recently, I joined yeah. as a member and they had a Zoom session to go through the pre-selection for the meet the candidates or whatever Love for that. the seat of Melbourne. Was it contested? <laughs> And it was uncontested, and the yeah. only person to join that meeting was Tom Ballard. Oh my god! What? <laughs> no, people didn't even join. No, that is no, so I, funny. No Surely you would at least take that opportunity to like ask some questions of the fucking leader of the party. But okay, well I did. Was he leader then? Yeah. No, I did. Yes, no, he was. He was wow. leader. It was all on Zoom. It was a very bizarre. This is like months after I actually joined as a member. Anyway, very strange. Okay, so. Greens party internal rules history lesson from Emerald Moon, right? Like at the moment, under existing rules. Sorry, I just love the idea of someone having a really big New Year's Eve and coming down listening to this. Listening to (laughs) this is exactly what you want to hear, right? Yeah, of course. Of course. So we, only our MPs elect our leader for a leadership spill to be triggered uh, it basically happens after every federal election or if there's mm-hmm. a vacancy or if there's a spill motion supported by one third of party room. So I assume at the moment that would be more, it need to be, you would need like six people, mm-hmm. presumably, to trigger a spill motion. But you're not, you're not safe, Adam, because we've got, you know, four, one, two, four Queensland. No, hang on. Six, five Queenslanders? I'm so sorry. Five <laughs> Queenslanders in there. So we only need one more and we could kick Adam Bant out. So he should be afraid. I'm sorry. I like Adam's a great leader. Um, <laughs> anyway, and then, yeah, there's just like a secret ballot of the MPs and they go, yep, this person. And they announce the results and everyone has some kind of leadership position afterwards. It's great. It's a wonderful, cute system. Yeah, yeah, everyone gets it. Everyone gets a prize. <laughs> it's very greens. <laughs> um, this is very unusual for progressive organisations. I, I read, like I thought maybe at one point we're with the only Greens party in the world who doesn't give members a say. There might be like one or two others, but like very few Greens parties in the world and most progressive parties, in fact, even the Labor Party is better than that. They give their members more of a say on the election of their leader. They have like this weighted model where 50% of the vote comes from their MPs and 50, 50% comes from members. Right. I, a, I a system to... introduced after the <laughs> insane dog yes. shit blood, bloodshed of the Rudd Gillard years. Yes, introduced yeah. by Kevin Rudd to make sure that would never happen again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but it's still um, better. You're right. Stability. Hey, I think I like. I would have hazard a guess that most Greens members, or like at least a big chunk of Greens members, don't necessarily realize this, or at least if they realize that this is the system, they don't realize that it's unusual for a progressive party. Well, and well, yeah, and certainly in the Australian context, right? Like, yeah. if every other political party doesn't operate on that system, you would understand, what, like, whether that's even an option. You know, obviously, if you're paying attention to, say, British politics and the massive mm. rise of Jeremy Corbyn was a result of the Labor membership being able to vote to elect the leader, um, yeah. hence him being elected and changing the nature of British politics for the next uh, next half a decade. Yeah. How do how do the Liberals do it? Is it just MPs for them? Yes. Right, so we have the liberal model. That's awesome. Um, so funnily <laughs> enough, the the timeline around this kind of conversation within the Greens, as I understand, in recent years anyway, obviously it's I'm sure been there have been people interested in this for much longer, but in November of 2016, Richard Di Natale called for a discussion about how we elect our leader. In 2017, National Conference established a working group to progress this issue, National Conference being that meeting of all the Greens members. Mm-hmm. And then the following year, state and territory, um, state councils held workshops. So, for example, in 2018, Queensland agreed that we want a change to provide greater membership involvement in the election of leader. Interestingly, and I actually forgot this, 
National Council also adopted that position in 2019. So the key, like the decision-making body of the party said they support a change to provide greater membership involvement in electing okay. the leader. Not necessarily full election, but an involvement That's of some right. kind of membership. But yes. give members some sort of a say as opposed yep. to absolutely zero. Yep. So then 2018 to 2019, it was like late 2018, got the results in 2019. There, there was a national survey of members that also included a question on whether we should mandate co-leaders. And it was kind of, it was inconclusive. So it was like this non-binding survey, 58% said that they believe that the current model should not be continued. And right. 83% said it's important that members are involved in the election of a parliamentary leader. But National Council was like, okay, so there's a mood for change, but we don't really know what that would look like. Uh And they then said in 2020, we need to do a plebiscite of members to decide whether we change and how, what model we use. Yeah, so the method for doing a plebiscite is set out in the Constitution. Uh Can I ask, sorry, in that survey, how many people are we talking to that initial survey in 2019? Do we know? Oh, I actually don't know what the participation rates were. Okay. But it went to every member. The survey um, did, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, every every member nationally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, then then we say we want to do a plebiscite. I mean, the fact that we were like, yeah, plebiscite sounds good when I think that the marriage equality plebiscite was still very much in our <laughs> minds at that time, but we were like, yeah, sounds great. And that means that it was optional preferential voting. It was this ballot that went out to everyone. You needed at least 20% participation and 66% plus in favour of something for, for it to go ahead. The interesting thing about this is just quietly, as an aside, we didn't actually need to do a plebiscite. Like there were people that argued, including myself and on behalf of Queensland at the time, that we should just do a simple majority threshold because the election of the leader isn't actually set out in the constitution. It's never been endorsed by members, but National Council argued that we have to do this complicated plebiscite process to put something in the constitution about it. And do you remember the ballot that, that came out of this, Tom? I do remember this. I remember you and I would talk because I'd sort of just, it was, again, yeah, it must have been around the time when I actually signed up too. And it was, yeah, because it was happening in 2020, obviously COVID's raging around, but there was also this sort of internal debate around that. And I think that I touched base with you, we talked about it a little bit. You were, you were organising within the party to try and, you know, get this over the line, right? Yeah, so there's actually been, there's a group, Greens for Democratic Leadership, which I think still has a Facebook page and was active like in the years leading up to this and during the, the plebiscite. Mm. Um, that was pushing, you know, campaigning internally for a democratic model. And we were, I was talking to you about that, but I specifically asked if you remembered the ballot because it was probably like <laughs> one of the most confusing <laughs> things I've ever voted in. Like this thing was wor- absolutely worse than like an upper house ballot, <laughs> like in an, in an election because it was trying to test like basically three, like it was trying to test, do we want to change what we currently have? And then it needed to test, okay, what model would we move to? And there were these two models, one being one member, one vote. So every member has a vote on who uh, is the leader of the party, equal weighting, or Mm -hmm. the weighted model similar to what Labor has where 50% of the vote is from the MPs and 50% is from the membership. And so it it had like three questions and it, was weirdly repetitive and it was like in question one you say I, I prefer either one member, one vote or the status quo and then question two I prefer a 50-50 model or the status quo and then in question three I prefer like one member, one vote or 50-50. Anyway, and it, it was because question three would apply only if one of the first two questions reached the 66% threshold. So already like... Not to be too tinfoil hat about this, I do think that it was intentionally complex. Like I I think, and maybe this is worth noting, like there absolutely is resistance to changing this model Mm. from certain parts of the party. Yep. And unsurprisingly party room at the time, you know, obviously the constitutional party room has changed now. Who knows what, Mm. what the position would be now. This was a time as well, I think, this was right when the Adam the handover happened. So this was all ongoing and then Richard Dintali stepped down and Adam came in and Adam had seemed like open in the past to democratic election. And so I think mm. a lot of people were disappointed when he then just took his his party room endorsement and wasn't like, you know, I want to enter the leadership 
on a, a foundation of, of endorsement from the members voting for me. Oh, like, okay, like you, 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 we, we would have liked to have seen him say, if I'm going to become the leader, then. Yeah. Before, yeah, okay. Yeah. Or, I mean, you I, know, I do remember yeah. it being slightly complicated by the fact that Adam was very popular and people wanted him as the leader. So, yeah. so you know, you're having the same conversation about a process thing, still very important, and I'm not saying that anyone fucked up by timing it at the same time, but it's just sort of like, yes, people were like, yes, we need to vote for our leader and we'd vote for the guy who's currently the leader overwhelmingly. But yeah, anyway, yeah. that was just another wrinkle in the in the conversation. Yeah, it made things extra confusing. Um there was a whole lot of yeah, that was like shifting and then there was these uh a coalition of MPs, I think including folks like Bob Brown and maybe even RDM, like kind of older guard. Greens yes. with a lot of sway and influence in the party who yes, were I doing think Christine public, Milne came out Christine against Milne, that yep. as well. Yes, yep. Publishing articles on why the Greens should not allow democratic election of, of the leader during this. Yeah. I remember Bizarre. reading that article and feeling positively sick to my stomach. <laughs> um, I stand by that. And in the end, the results were that neither model received that, that 66% threshold. So confusingly because it was optional preferential as well like because more people voted on certain questions than others the 50-50 model received 62.56% support as opposed yep. to the status quo and the one member one vote model received 62% support as opposed to the status quo but it received more votes like so 3721 votes for one member one vote Right. 3,510 for a 50-50 model. And yeah. so even, so we we did this plebiscite because we were like, we did a survey, it was unclear. Now we need mm. a plebiscite to finally solve this <laughs> just, once and for all. We really get the results and it's like, mm, we have no idea. Like what we do know is that on the terms of this plebiscite, we can't change, we have the status quo. But like we're also kind of, you know, both sides can now argue that, the membership wants one thing. Like there's no clear kind of endorsement from the membership of, of one thing or another. Just cra- but it's just so overwhelming support for change to the status quo but because oh, yeah. you can't get that, then we don't get any change to the status quo. That's right. So MPs still elect the bloody leader. What I am curious about, I mean, this wasn't that long ago. It was, yeah, two, maybe three years ago now. Mm. Do you think it would be different now though, the result? So, I mean, I can't even remember, Adam. So my, my memory was Maureen Faruqi did, like there were some workshops. So I maybe attended one or two, like just Zoom conferences, conversations between people. I remember I think Abigail Boyd was in favour of mm-hmm. uh, members directly electing. Maureen Faruqi was from memory. Nick McKim was opposed. Um, but I honestly don't remember where Adam sort of sat in that in that kind of conversation. I, I think if there was a new internal democracy thing and Adam was heavily endorsing the idea of going to an election to elect the party, I think that it would, it would do pretty well, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is that, like I said, I think it was disappointing at the time and I still remain disappointed that Adam kind of, came, yeah, like got elected as leader and was just totally silent on this thing. Yeah, like I he think he, go either way. Okay. you know, the furthest he might have gone is he might have been like membership involvement would be good. Yep. And so, but, you know, that's does that mean support for this hybrid model where MPs still get, you know, thousands more votes effectively than ordinary members. Yeah. Who knows? So we still don't even really know our leader's position on this. And and I, I wonder, though, whether now him kind of having led the party for some time, having more of an established position as leader, led the party through, one, you know, our most successful election yet, Yeah. he might feel, be, feel more confident taking a position on this. Sure. Or would he just, yeah, have, it, like, settled into... The, the status quo that's benefited him mm. and be like, oh, I think we should leave it as is. I think it's working pretty well. <laughs> it's working great. <laughs> and, I don't know. I'd like to think he would, uh, he, he's, he's, um, default or broader political vision endorses greater democracy, both within the party. Um, I think that's certainly true. And I think the new energy around the, the party, the increase in membership and the momentum that the party has in the wake of, of these results this year means that, um, I reckon there's an appetite for just, you know, pursuing our principles and doing all the stuff yeah. that makes us different to the other parties. So I think, again, you would, you'd probably hopefully do pretty well. Um, but also with a slightly different national council than, isn't, isn't there a new one or l- well, little there's, yeah, makeup I mean, of the internal party? Well, yeah, they're elected every year. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, I don't know who is on it at the moment. Obviously, I think they were just <laughs> elected. Um, it's a, I'm never going back. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, who know? like uh, that's, 
It, it absolutely, it was a national council project. That was probably one of the major things that I worked on when I was on national council as Queensland's right. delegate. And so, yeah, a new council might approach it totally differently. But it's worth noting, again, that party room for some reason has a vote on national council and I think even sometimes, like effectively a veto at times on national council, even though each member body already also has a vote and why does party room why is party room a thing when it doesn't represent any members other than the MPs? But anyway, that's just my, I don't think MP should, I don't think party room should have a vote on national council. There, yeah. I said it. Um, <laughs> it's, it, but, but yeah, like you're right. Like, again, I cannot stress enough that it is literally one of the four pillars is grassroots participatory democracy yes. of the party. And we do not allow any membership say in who leads the party and mm. the argument that I guess yeah you were alluding to is kind of that representative democracy. You know, we don't have a, a direct participatory democracy model. We have a representative one where members pre-select their MPs who then go mm. and choose the members. But as I say, yeah, like might make slightly more sense if we're only talking about senators, where the whole state will vote. Yeah. But even so, if your state or territory doesn't have any senators, then yep. you don't have any representation. Right. Or if we're just talking about lower house MPs, which of which we now have four, those mm. are just four branch, or I guess if there are some that might have multiple branches involved, but like a handful of branches that hold a significant chunk of 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 power on on who represents the whole party, all mm. of the members. Yeah, democracy is really good. If we're serious about that, then we should do it everywhere all the time as much as possible, you know. Um, yes, otherwise it looks like a certain group of people are hoarding power and don't want to be accountable to to the membership. So, yeah. yes, I mean, yeah, you and I both voted for and were sort of vocal about it or talked about the fact that we supported this this kind of new model. And yeah. there are some other benefits too, really, to having that kind of open direct democracy leadership model too, right? Like it gets people more engaged with yeah. and involved in what the party is about and just makes make the sort of the conversations and the campaigning within the party more robust. And if everyone feels like there's a say rather than certain people making moves behind the scenes, then yes. people feel better about the party, right? Yeah. I mean, why would you join a an organisation if there's really no difference by by you joining like i would argue that you know if you look at declining union membership for example i would say that 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 obviously relates to the power that unions hold in in the yep. workplace but probably also to the fact that for most people their experience of joining a union or their impression of joining a union would be that they don't actually have that much influence over what the union does because it is largely you know led by a, a small handful of kind of executives who who have the real power and you know under direction from from the labor party even so mm. That's similarly for the Greens, like when you actually have a say in what your party, what the party does, then you're going to want to join because you'll be like, well, I want to have a say in this, yeah. which is which is why like explicitly I do not support a hybrid model. I don't support this weighted model 50-50 thing like what Labor has um, because it still is like in 2013, I understand this is one of the key arguments against it. It's like in 2013, Labor members voted for Albanese as their leader, yeah. but the MPs overruled them in this factional deal and they appointed Bill Shorten instead. And so, yeah, to put ourselves in a situation where the membership could express one view and then the MPs effectively just overrule it like, it would be so it would be disastrous. Yeah. Like. So it's not even a fifty fifty deal in Labor, really, is it? It, yeah. it is like fifty plus one <laughs> in regards yeah. to the the party of the parliamentary Labor Party. Like uh yes, they have more power. I mean, again, I, I keep going back to British politics, like the reaction from the Labor right in the party post Corbyn, just like the way that that central body is just completely like weeding out all leftists in the memberships and just cutting away an internal democracy to the point mm. where they produce the lists of who's even allowed to yeah. stand for consideration for pre-selection. Like it is just this this centralization, concentration of power in the hands of conservative people who will never ever let the Labor Party get anywhere near Corbynist socialism ever again. Um, yet it's brutal, this kind of purge that's going through now. And I think you see elements of that in the Australian Labor Party and mm. we don't want that in the Greens, please. But there's, yeah, there's sort of this one of the most common arguments that I saw around the time of the plebiscite and you still see it is people who are like, well, I'm just a member. What do I know about who's best to be the leader? And they'll even kind of use, you know, the technical definition. What we're talking about here is the parliamentary leader and that's just the role is just to coordinate the party room and it's that's the person that <laughs> is effectively the manager for our MPs, which like, 
first of all, bullshit. They are not yes. a, like a glorified whip position. They are the figurehead no. of the party. They front yes. the press conferences. They answer the questions when something goes wrong. They decide yes. the portfolio allocations. They have 22 or 24 staff as opposed to like three or four for every other MP. They have an enormous amount of, of power and they yes. are they set the tone for the whole party. Like, so I think to argue that they're just a, a manager and for that reason, yeah, like the MPs know best because they're the ones who have to work with this person so they mm. should be the ones who who have a say. It's like, no, this is a representative for our entire movement and I think we should trust the members to to be able to pick who they think represents them as that movement. It's just like, what do I know? I, I don't deserve no. a vote. Well, you vote yeah. in the federal election, for fuck's sake. You vote for yeah. your local MPs on issues and, and you, you vote on lots them. of other things. You're not in, in parliament. Party. Like, yeah. Come on, man. And this was really frustrating. You know, it's disappointing in my conversation with Nick McKim. I appreciated him having coming on my podcast at the time and having the conversation, being honest about his position. Mm. But it was sort of basically like, yeah, like what if what if we don't get along? Like the, all these in, internal personal dramas amongst the party room and yeah. how that should dictate like who becomes the leader. And my response to that was grow the fuck up. Grow the fuck <laughs> this is your This is your job. You've been elected by people to do that. You respect democracy broadly. Um, I'm sorry, work through your issues yeah. uh, within the party room, a, a group of, yeah, what, 16 people now you, who, who yeah. all broadly. If you can't, then we've got have, bigger problems. Yeah, like. we've got much bigger problems if you can't sort of, you know, get over sort of personal beefs or whatever. And I don't know, you, I couldn't help but think that this is the the scenario in their head is something like, well, what if a Lee Rhiannon were to be elected leader yeah. of the of the party? Then then we'd be in serious trouble, and that would be acceptable. And you kind of go, well, that's what the well, members if that's what wanted, the members like, of your party want. Then you got to respect that. You're the problem. Like, yeah, that's it's. Am I so wrong? I mean, and that's yeah. And there's this argument about like it, friction and conflict, and and it causing more drama, internal disputes that will make the party appear and be disunified and mm. there was a great quote great quote that i found in one of the flyers that the greens for democratic leadership um developed at the time of the plebiscite which is that de democratic leadership elections actually discourage factionalism since all candidates need to make their case to members instead of building yes. personal networks of loyalty with yes. other insiders by yes. contrast factions thrive where power is concentrated in a few hands especially when there are juicy favors to dole out <laughs> to loyal supporters yes so, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's exactly it. It's actually, and, and like, if the MPs have to be accountable to the membership when they want to hold a leadership spill, it's not like, it's not like democratic election is going to mean, oh, there's these constant fucking spills and we'll always be trying to, you know, overturn the leader. That's mm. far more likely to happen when you can just do that behind closed doors. The model that's proposed, you know, MPs would have to, like 20% of the party room could um, nominate someone for leadership and or, you know, a certain threshold of members could could call a spill. I really don't think that there's going to be these like rolling leadership spills when you have to go through a whole internal election. And I find like maybe we this has come up on the podcast before, but there is this thread of argument sometimes within the party that like all internal campaigning is bad and like seeds disunity and it's like something that we just, we as Greens shouldn't do. And I'm like, no, internal campaigning is fucking good. Like, justify to me why you represent me and my movement. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm a member. Yeah. I'll tell you what is fucking bonkers is like, again, in the UK, for those two major parties, when there's like a leadership spill, it's like a very big public deal. Like, people go yeah. on TV. They have TV debates between the contenders yeah. for, for the leadership. Now, obviously, for the recent conservative uh, thing when Boris Johnson was kicked out, it was a very big deal because whoever won that was going to become the, the prime minister, for fuck's sake. But all voted on Tory Tory members, like the membership, um, which eventually selected um, uh, Liz Truss. Although there is a process in which the MPs decide who are the candidates that the membership votes yeah. on. So yeah. that sort of was the first thing. But, um, yeah, but like literally TV debates to decide the leader which, of a political party, which is- like, And if you're yeah. saying that, yeah, you are as a party meant to be representing like a broad section of society- in mm. politics, that kind of makes sense. And also, that like, I want to see how you campaign as well. I want to see how you represent mm. yourself and, and our movement as a leader yeah. um, before I kind of put my my confidence in you. Mm. I mean, the other thing, maybe it's what just briefly touching on, though, like, do you have thoughts on co-leaders? Um, I was, I mean, I was thinking something that we, I thought was remiss of us not to ask Daniel Lopez from the Victorian Socialists. Like there is no so leader of the Victorian Socialists mm. as, as I understand it. Yeah. Um, all the interviews I saw were all on specific candidates in, in their respective um, seats yeah. or their districts that they were running in. So that's sort of interesting. And I'm, I'm sure that there is 
a big focus on horizontalism and you know hierarchy is the enemy of the Victorian socialists. That's that's for true. That's for sure. But I I think a whether whether it's a leader or a co-leader is kind of mandating one either way isn't so important mm-hmm. to me. Often for office barrier um, positions in local branches, people say, oh, this could be a co sharing role, we yeah. could run, you know, two candidates could run as co-leaders if that's what they wanted to do. I think giving that option is totally fine. But mandating one one way or the other, I, I don't have particularly strong feelings on it, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, well, because the New South Wales Greens don't have a leader either, do they? Yeah, right. I was thinking yeah. about it, yeah. It's like, you never yeah. They actually, like, they specifically intentionally don't have a leader. Queensland Greens, because we only have two MPs, we don't have a leader yet. I think once we get over three, then we would, three or four. Right. Yep. But... Yeah, the, the argument about like whether to have a leader or not, I support having a leader and I probably support having one leader over co-leaders. Our current mm. rules allow for co-leaders. They don't mandate one way or the other, which I think is like fine, I guess, if that's really what the membership wanted. But I think it almost like the the implication behind co-leaders is like, yeah, we're investing so much power in this in this position and it's like, I don't know. I just think that rather you should be recognizing the role that the leader does play, which is, is that like figurehead position. I think it just makes sense for that to be like one person who then consults with the party and like represents that to the world. And that's their job. I think honestly it can get confusing with co-leaders, but it is done elsewhere. Is it not New Zealand? Some Is it New Zealand Green Party maybe? Has I want to say New or? Zealand maybe. Yes, I think, I think yeah. so. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm sort of, I don't have super strong feelings about it, but I, I know some people who, yeah, really like if we were really grassroots, we were really democratic, we wouldn't have a leader at all. I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah. If, if the leader is democratically elected, then I'm all for it, I say, yes. Yes. Um, we'll put some, just before we move on to our next convo, I, I'll chuck some links in the show notes to a couple of good articles about the election of the leader. There's one that Jono wrote about what role the actual leader plays and kind of un, undoing that idea that they are just a manager of the party room. And there's also one from Dylan Griffiths from New South Wales about why we need democratic election, one member, one vote, so we can link them in the show notes. All right, sir, I guess I'll just have to speak to the people of my state from right here. And I'll tell you one thing, the wild horses aren't going to drag me off this floor until those people have heard everything I've got to say, even if it takes all winter. I remember, this is one of my things that I remember from my politics course in uni, was learning Taught by about the smartest man in Australian politics. The spawn, and, uh, smartest man, Paul Williams, who yes. um, is, I saw an article that he was quoted in recently, finally acknowledging that maybe the Greens will win more seats in Queensland. And I was like, <laughs> took you a while, buddy, didn't it? Anyway, and he was well, saying, well, like, well. yeah, good stuff. He was like, he's obviously a Labourite and was talking about uh, conscience votes and crossing the floor and the mm-hmm. fact that. The LNP allows their members to cross the floor on a vote, whereas Labor doesn't. And he was like, isn't that funny that in this instance, the LNP is actually more democratic than the Labor Party? Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, writing down my notes. And so only later when this came up, when I was on National Council, again, one of my first National Council meetings, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Mm. (laughs) Um, And we were talking about, um, conscious votes and binding MPs to policy, did my perception of it kind of switch to be like, oh, actually it's not very democratic to place the decision solely within the hands of this one person mm. uh, rather than, or, or, you know, the party room even, rather than the policy that's that's developed by the entire membership in the case of, of the Greens through a, decision, a consensus decision-making process. Right. So maybe just just for like absolute clarity, do you mind explaining yeah. what do you mean when you say uh, binding an MP to policy? Yeah. Uh, so requiring them in the constitution to vote and act, often it'll say, but usually vote is what we're talking about in accordance mm-hmm. with Greens policy. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Because Greens policy is democratically decided by the membership. Yeah. And But there is absolutely, there's no strict constitutional obligation on those Greens MPs to vote exactly in accordance with whatever policy the membership comes up with? No. So at a federal level, the Australian Greens constitution doesn't bind MPs to policy. Mm-hmm. It says it basically is like they'll adhere to the policies of the Greens except where it conflicts with their duty to their constituents or their conscience. So, right. Yeah. Like conscience or or duty to constituents. But there's an exception in that part of the constitution of the Australian Greens for New South Wales and Queensland 
because mm. our state constitutions do bind mm. our MPs. Like Queensland's, for example, says that actions and activities of all members of the Greens in public office will be consistent with the Charter Principles Code of Ethics and Policy Platform of the Greens. Okay. Yeah. God, duty to your constituents, that's fucking broad. That feels like yeah, something you can, just like, you can twist I, almost yeah. anything. <laughs> I don't yeah, want to. especially, that's right. No, it's very, it's very broad. It basically means, yeah, you don't have to vote in accordance with party policy. They, and interestingly, I mean, this is getting into the weeds and the kind of technicalities around a little bit, but one of the things that, that I discovered when this was a topic in front of National Council is that party rooms rules, the little rules that they have for, for operating, define a conscience vote as voting against the party room decision. So like they have rules around MPs being able to or not, not able to do that, mm. but they define it as, yeah, like what party room decides. But what we're talking about is when a party room decision conflicts with policy. Right. So mm, we, gosh. yeah, like, and in the Queensland Greens, for example, we say that if a um, an MP believes that a vote, that a decision that the party room has made is in conflict with policy, then they'll be they'll be bound by policy instead of the party room decision. Right. Yeah. Which gotcha. probably reminds people of a particular instance. There is one situation where this came up. God, it must have been was it twenty seventeen the Lee Rhiannon stuff? Sounds about right. Yes, it was still Turnbull or twenty sixteen as- even. Turnbull, yeah, something like that. Turnbull's still Prime Minister. It's around Gons- Gonski funding. Yeah. And basically, this is for all from memory. Please correct me if I fuck this up. And, I, and I'm still yet to read Paddy Manning's Inside the Greens, in which I'm sure this is all laid yeah, out in detail. But basically, the Liberals and the Greens managed to, were working on some kind of arrangement around education funding. And the party room decided to do something of a deal that wasn't the full Gonski that would commit mm-hmm. Labor to uh, the, sorry that would commit the Greens to voting for something that wasn't the full Gonski. Yeah. New South Wales Greens policy was to support the full Gonski program. Yeah. New South Wales Senator Lee Rhiannon said, "Therefore, I cannot agree with this party room decision, and I am holding out my vote, or I I will vote mm. against this." Basically, I'm not actually sure. What happened there, and 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 within that caused a huge rupture within the party room to the point where she was censured, I think, by the rest of the uh, the other Greens party room or something like that. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what happened, but they they had a go at her. They like they said it was bad. Ben Bob Brown came out extremely hard. Bob Brown, who appears to have never really gotten on uh, particularly well with no. everybody, they've, they've come to blows at many times. Mm. Obviously, they have some pretty different political um, views and worldviews, and in particular on matters of say capitalism or or you know a political orientation i suppose they've come into conflict quite a bit yeah. um and that kind of interstate conflict or tensions that mm. is brought out through this federate federal body yes. system sort of really came to the fore there yeah yeah i think this is one of those ones like where you kind of get an insight into the different cultures um and approaches of the different states in yep. the greens that make up the australian greens like New South Wales, I think, are quite staunch on this. Mm. Well, this was this was Lee, Lee Rannan's defence. Is like I have I, I I have no choice here. I am She's bound, bound. Yeah, I am bound by this constitution to do what the what the members tell me to do. And the members yeah. told me to do something that was in conflict with the federal party room decision. And yeah, you know, she viewed her role and took that pretty seriously, having been pre-selected and voted for by the members to to honour that that obligation. Yeah, and as I understand it. The Queensland Greens, the constitutional like provision binding our MPs to policy happened after the, like it was, I would say, kind of in response to this, where we were like, yep. if this kind of thing happens again, we want our MPs to have to vote in accordance with our policy, not not with the party room. And so that's why we changed our constitution and, and asked for us to be exempted from those those Australian Greens provisions. Yep. Yeah, right. I, I believe there was also some kind of you know, Lee Renan did go back to the membership to also canvas people's opinions ahead of yeah, making that right. decision too. So there was a, a level, you know, level of consultation and you know increased democratic input mm. uh, into that decision too. Well, because this is the other thing as well. Like you know that the, the problem is our policy, our policy platform itself is very vague. So like the policy platform that's endorsed by members, it's intentionally broad. It's mm. made up of like these principles and aims that certainly are not exhaustive. They don't cover every instance. And when we're not in government, we're responding to government legislation that is made on the basis of a totally different, like from a totally different starting point Mm. and will often include stuff that is either not specifically mentioned in in our policy or, 
you know, there would be varying interpretations of how our policy would apply. And so I I don't necessarily know, like it sounds as though I think in the Liriana instance, the Gonski instance, it was like fairly clear that this wasn't consistent with policy, but certainly there are a lot of situations where I've seen our, our policy is silent. Like for example, when we were dealing with COVID-19 public health direction stuff, mm. that there was really no direction for our mm. MPs in a lot of our policy. And so how do they kind of make that up? Like I think that's a, a, a big question that certainly from what I've seen in the Queensland Greens, we're still working out what happens when our MPs have to vote on something that's not explicitly dealt with by policy. How do you consult the membership or... Right. Yeah. Which is like, you know, that's going to happen all the time because stuff comes up and enters into mm. politics and becomes an issue, you know, well outside the policymaking process of a party. You know, that takes ages and lots of deliberation and it's around things like education or health or the environment, et cetera, like, you know, these big sort of topics and these things that we believe in, things we want to fight for. But, yeah, you know, war could be declared or something or a pandemic kicks off and suddenly, you know, there is a, an element to which these MPs are empowered to act in, in response to the situation. In the Lee Rhiannon case, I think Lee Rhiannon was like, we pretty clearly took a position on this. We support the Gonski review and implementing that in full. And that's not what the Liberals want to do. Therefore, I'm, I'm against it. Yeah. I mean, would you argue that the, like, the climate bill was inconsistent? Because it, it's, it's inconsistent with the targets that we have in our, mm. our policy in terms of emissions reduction. I think that's one where it's often difficult. It's like when we have an incremental change that is not the full change that we would want mm. in our policy, but it's maybe an improvement on the status quo, the interpretations of whether or not that's consistent with policy could differ. Well, then there's also, I mean, like, is is the 75% reduction target, is that in the official policy platform? Actual policy platform. That's a good question. Oh, you're, you're not sure? No. Because I think this is also complicated by the fact that during an election campaign, as I understand it, the leader's office and the mm, federal MPs a- come up with policy initiatives, which are like ideas that we're going to campaign on and talk about a lot, which are somewhat distinct and not necessarily an official Fully part distinct, of the Greens' yeah. official party platform. Is that correct? Yeah. So I can like I think it works similarly at a federal level, but I'll speak more to the Queensland level just because like that's what I'm sure of. Like in Queensland, the Queensland Campaigns Committee develops initiatives that have to be like they have to be consistent with the policy Mm -hmm. but like i said the policy is very vague so they can fully make up like the numbers the details the like an interpretation of a principle that's in policy and turn it into Mm -hmm. an initiative and that's actually what we put to voters every election and and we'll probably introduce bills on and and things like that and there are like i know jono shri ranganathan for example consistently argues that like maybe there should be more membership involvement in developing initiatives since that's such a big part of that's effectively the platform. Yeah. I'm not sure, like, I don't know if, like, writing those sorts of initiatives is really possible to do by committee or, like, yeah. with in consultation with the membership, but it's true that, that that kind of adds a whole other layer of complication to things. That's and that's probably a whole other episode of the podcast about yeah. how, you know, you develop policy and how that stuff sort of comes up. But uh, But just coming back to your original point about, you know, is it good or bad that people can cross the floor over conscience vote? I mean, mm. first of all, yeah, the Greens party room at the boat, no one can really cross the floor, really, can they? Because we're obviously not on either side of either That's government right. or opposition. Well, yeah. And has that so and and there's also the consensus decision making, which is a big part of the Greens party room as well, which is which I think is what sort of broke down in the Lee Rhiannon case, which was very rare. Normally mm. the party room does talk incessantly and endlessly until they actually feel like they can come out with a consensus position that might not be yeah. 100% what everybody wanted but is something that the whole party room could get behind. Yeah. So, the, you know, the Lee Rhiannon thing was extraordinary in that it was a case in which that was not – They couldn't that, That's consensus. not where they ended up, right. And yeah. is that really the only case of of the federal Greens party room splitting on anything? Like has any Greens MP Ooh, ever voted question. differently to the rest of their, uh, their comrades? Oh, I don't know. My history is not up on this. I actually don't know. I'd say probably not. I feel like we'd probably know about it if we did. Yeah. yeah. But and I think what the interesting thing is, yeah, if we talk about crossing the floor, I would say that a lot of people would think, yeah, if if Lee Rhiannon, for example, like Lee Rhiannon is crossing the floor in voting against um, the party room decision, mm. but they would maybe not distinguish that from a conscience vote as in right. voting against party policy. So there's this thing, yeah, like it, it really annoys me. I mean, it's a query that we would get often during the election. I remember when I was doing the media for the Queensland Greens candidates and people say stuff like, what's the issue that you would cross the floor on? 
Yeah. Like what's an issue that, yeah, you would vote against. And, and I mean, for us, it's like, well, nothing. Cause I'm, I'm bound to, to party policy and trying yes. to explain, like trying to explain that to an ordinary voter in a non-super note, like our policies are endorsed through a consensus decision-making process by the members. And, you know, yes. we believe in grassroots democracy and believe that's more democratic. Uh, yep. It doesn't really work because people kind of instinctively, yeah, they see it as this like maverick thing that someone will stand up for their beliefs um, yep. and potentially yeah, stand up for their electorate and their constituents by crossing the floor, which again, I'm like, but if they have to do that to stand up for their constituents and their beliefs, why are they in that party? Right. Yeah, sure. Um, look, I think people like the idea of conscious votes because they hate politics and they hate people telling them one thing and then and they think that the the system of politics corrupts people, which is totally true, yeah. and so that people are regularly voting and saying things that they don't believe or, you know, okay. they're, they're, yeah. they're lying, right? So so a conscious vote going against the apparatchiks of your own party because of something you really believe in, you know, does in, in some instances, come across as the admirable or the right thing to do. I mean, Petra yeah. Giorgio crossing the floor on refugee policy sort of stands, you know, comes to mind, for example. Yeah. Now, in the Labor Party, where you can't cross the floor because all the Labor MPs are bound by whatever the, the party room decides, you've sort of got the worst of both worlds. They both can't, can't demonstrate a level of uh, independence or conscience to cross the vote because of what they believe in, but they're not doing that because they're bound by, by the membership, right? Like the, the, yeah. Labor, the Parliamentary no, Labor Party is considerably actually, to the right of the Labor yeah. membership, and the Labor membership comes up with stuff all the time that is, you know, passes ALP conference or whatever, never goes anywhere because the parliamentary party says, ah, well, you know, fuck them. We don't, we're not actually going to do the things they say just because they're members of our party. So, yeah, Labor's really like the worst of both worlds. At least in the Liberal Party, I guess, every now and again, someone might not be a complete demon lizard and will um, sort of take the correct position on a socially, you know, a mm-hmm. social progress question perhaps. But um, but Labor Party, not, not so much. Yeah, but I think it's interesting. Like, I think actually that's that's a good take that it's true that like people want they they like someone who'll cross the floor, quote unquote, mm. or a party that'll allow conscience votes um, because they hate politicians and they. And don't it's want the same thing. The, the, but like, you know, people love independence and teals, right? Because they're yeah, exactly. You know, there's no ideology, and they're going to look at yeah. an issue and they're going to make a call either way. Yeah. yeah, but but this is the whole point: is that like, oh, so you hate politicians, and so you want to place all of the power in the hands of this one politician to make the yes. decision here. Like yeah. that sounds pretty fucking stupid to me. Why would you not place it in the hands of like a membership base that is open to anyone? And and also if we're talking about service to constituents, like I want to be confident that my MP is going to vote in accordance with the platform on which I elected them. Yes. So like obviously not everyone in the electorate voted for this person, but like, yeah, the person that was the least hated because that's how our preferential voting system works. Yes. They came to the election with a clear platform Yes, and people know what they're getting. No fucking surprises. That's how it works with, you know, binding MPs as we do in the Greens. I don't want someone to fuck, yeah, like I don't want to vote Labor because I I support abortion rights and then have my MP get up and vote against it. Um, Because that's one thing that, yeah, Labor, I assume across the country, but I know like in Queensland at least they can have conscience votes on I think it's matters of life and death or Mm. however they word it, that's what it means. So they had a conscience vote on um, abortion rights in Queensland and on voluntary assisted dying laws, for example. Yeah. Here's your question for you. Do you think that MPs whose seats voted against marriage equality should voted for what their seat wanted or what they believed in and what they campaigned on. Yeah, like when there's a conflict between your party and gen- your electorate. Yep, few Labor MPs, particularly who represent Western suburb, Western city mm-hmm. suburbs, their um, home seats would have voted, uh, you know, the majority yeah. of people in that plebiscite who did, you know, you know, it wasn't compulsory plebiscite but still pretty high participation rate, mm-hmm. voted no and those Labor MPs all voted yes. I would still say that you were elected as a Labor MP and if your party policy, like that you came to the election with was to support marriage equality then that's that's how you should vote and like if people voted for you knowing that that was in your your platform like vote for what you believe in you know also why do we have a fucking plebiscite then but that's 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 again another another. issue (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah let's not fucking hell democracy
democracy, eh? I don't have a great, I don't know about call to action. People look, Greens for Democratic Leadership, like I said, I think maybe the Facebook page still exists, but I don't know if it's really a thing. <laughs> but you could maybe talk to your branch about how we can get the conversation around democratic election of leaders started again. Maybe you bring a motion to your state council or national council or conference. And we can please, please just get our fucking party's shit together when it comes to democratically electing the leader. That'd be very nice, please. The yeah. last post on the Facebook page was May 12th, 2020. Okay, but, so um, it was, it has, it's, it's got basically some nice retired design. after the put aside. There's this beautiful video on, on there. Like there's this rousing video that, that that group made that's like from humble beginnings, like we've grown oh. as a movement, now's our time. Yeah. I remain hopeful and maybe, yeah, and same, like I would even say similarly, if you are a Greens member outside of New South Wales or Queensland, maybe chat about whether your MPs should be bound to vote in accordance with the policy that you, a member, have a say on. And look, I think I mentioned this briefly before on one of our Patreon apps. You know, this is an issue for me personally in the Victorian uh, state branch, just had a new constitution that was passed and -hmm. one of the measures in the constitution was expanding the amount of time in which a new member can vote on pre-selections. Now, it also means yeah. voting for state council. I don't really care about that too much. I think if it, if you need to take longer for you to vote on the state council, maybe, I guess, I don't know, it's a very yeah. boring internal kind of problem. But certainly people join the Greens and expect pretty quickly to be able to vote on who's going to yeah. represent them in an upcoming election. During an election year is when people often you know sign up. That's when we get the That's biggest right. surge of membership. That's when young people particularly get involved. And if you were to join the Greens and say, you can't vote in who's going to be your local Greens candidate this election, because you that ban lasts for an entire year, I think that's fucking a year. crazy. A year. It was three months. Wow. It was extended to, three, to a year under this new constitution, right? And these this argument that it's, like, going to prevent um, branch, branch stacking. stacking or some bullshit, it's just like, come on, guys. This no. is crazy. And this is really yeah. against our policy. We literally encourage people to become members so that you can have a say, unlike in those other parties, yeah. about who's going to be your candidate. So if you're serious about grassroots democracy, if it's a goddamn pillar then pillar it up, you know? Yeah. The warmth of your love's like the warmth from the sun And this will be our year to the long time to come Don't let go of my hand now the darkness has gone This will be our year to the long time to come and I won't Happy New Year, Greens! Yes. We are an unofficial Greens party podcast. <laughs> We are an official Greens for Democratic Leadership uh, podcast. But, yeah, uh, yeah. We're renaming. Anyway, more Democracy 2023, everyone. That'd be good. Yeah. And more reviews of our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now, please. Please go and do that. It helps grow the show. It also helps us when you share our little clips or, you know, engage with our content on the social medias. We are on at Serious Danger AU on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. We post the full videos of our heads on YouTube. If you've only ever listened to audio, maybe you want to go and have a look at what we look like when we are talking. Uh, maybe you don't. Just put a sticker over Tom's head. For <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we have all the links are at SeriousDangerPod.com. If you have more stuff that you want us to talk about in the coming year, got some ideas for content, email us. Hello at SeriousDangerPod.com. Very quickly, too, uh, there will be an episode in which Emerald is away. You're going to be on lovely holidays in Etoria. Etoria? How do you say it again? I don't know. Etoria, Etoria, New Zealand. Um, I'm going to have a guest uh, guest host joining me on the show, but I hope you have a great break, Emerald, and you will be back later in Jan. I will. Peace. Peace.